Well, God bless you, my beloved. God bless you. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship. We're coming to you the 17th of May of 2020 with what we believe to be the final message, the final message in our series on how do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, after having studied 1 John. How do we grow in grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense? How do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, after having studied 1 John? I do believe this will be our last lesson in this series because I only have uh, about, two, about, one, about two more pages of notes. So we should be able to finish today. And then Thursday, Lord willing, we will start a new series. We will study something and then we will come behind what we studied and say, now how do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ after having studied whatever we study, whether it's Exodus or Leviticus, Leviticus. <laughs> that would be, that would require a lot of patience. <laughs> uh, so we'll have the same format. It'll just be a different, um, a different um, uh, book of the Bible. It won't be first John. It might even be second or third John. I don't know. Well, I do know. <laughs> Let me not lie. I do know. I do have a good idea. I just don't want to say it. I'll post it this week. Uh, walking with Jesus through and then whatever we're going to study. And then, then we finish studying it, however long it takes. Then we'll, then we'll ask the question again. How do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ after having studied blank? <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna reveal what's behind the door, uh, I, but I'll post um, no later than uh, Wednesday, since we study on Thursdays instead of Fridays. Well, good morning. How you doing, everybody? And um, we're glad to be here today. We hope that you've been safe and you've been practicing your um, social distancing. I went um, somewhere yesterday to get some copies made because I'm in the final stages of my dissertation and I had to get and uh, out of the, the owner of the place and the employees and several of the customers nobody had a mask on except me and then a couple of customers came in who had masks on but and so I asked the owner I, you know I said what's your take on this and she you know I, uh, it's, I don't believe all this blah blah I didn't want to fuss. I wanted to get in there and get my, my draft, one of my final drafts of my dissertation. And I wanted to get out of there. And there were a bunch of machine malfunctions. So I ended up staying there about an hour and a half waiting for my copies. And we talked. And again, I didn't, I didn't, I try, I'm trying to learn not to fuss when people don't agree with me. But it's like, you know. So I did post on, uh, I posted on my several sites this morning a link to that YouTube video about the uh, 1918 pandemic. And uh, you cannot watch that and not at least say, you know, we, we might have a problem here because in the 1918-19 pandemic, I know President Trump keeps saying 1917. I don't know why he does that. It's, and and he's, got, he's, he's surrounded by all these doctors. It's 1918-1919. The second wave was the killer. That was the, that was the hardest one. The first wave and the third wave were not as um, um, devastating. It was the second wave that was. So when we get a second wave of the coronavirus, which is probably this fall and winter, the question is going to be, how, do you, how are you going to be able to tell 
when somebody is sniffling or sneezing or a fever? How do you know when they have a cold or the flu or the coronavirus? That's, that's going to be an issue. You, 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 this person has a temperature of 102 and it's a student or it's a teacher or it's a principal or it's a, you know, some other person. How do you know it? You, you won't know it's the coronavirus until later on, in some cases, um, too late. So, uh, you know, we, we need to be in prayer because just like now in 1918, in 1918-19, it was the politicians, including President Woodrow Wilson, who uh, uh, held back information because of the war effort that, you know, President Wilson didn't want the other countries, even though the other countries were suffering also, he didn't want the Germans, etc., to know how bad this flu was hitting the United States because he thought it might hinder the war effort. And as it turned out, President Wilson ended up having a, a mild stroke and uh, it, it could have been associated with that flu because he did have a lot of the symptoms. And then he had a daughter, I think he had a daughter die from the flu. And then he eventually suffered a stroke and then he eventually died because the historian, some historians say that his wife had to run the country kind of behind the curtain, run the country for a while because, because Woodrow Wilson had a, a major stroke. So that stroke, some, some theorize that stroke was associated with uh, the, uh, the flu. Uh, the, the flu in 1918, 1919, just to get a little technical here before we go into our lesson, because it's a fascinating subject. The more I study it, the more I want to study it since I couldn't go to medical school, <laughs> since I didn't take chemistry and all that. The 1918-1919 flu was uh, H1N1. There's, a, um, there's another one out there, they, they call it H5N1. That one struck some years ago. It had a 60% mortality rate. H5N1, three out of five people died. That's much worse than the corona than the H one N one that we're dealing with now. H five N one. Sixty percent killing three out of five people. That's that's worse than the nineteen eighteen, I do believe. Because nineteen eighteen, nineteen was H one N one. And so, you know, the the, the this influenza thing, these these viruses are mutating and um, you know, uh, and we wonder why are they coming from Asia, because in Asia you have a lot of these what they call wet markets these animals, all these snakes and bats and raccoons and all these other strange looking animals are uh, all together and they're around people. And so, and people, and you know, we've all heard how they eat dogs in China. Well, they eat a lot more than dogs. They're eating bats and snakes and uh, all these other exotic animals. And then these viruses. I think I understand now why the Lord didn't want the children of Israel to eat certain foods. I always wondered, uh, I knew he didn't want them to eat certain foods because the because a lot of these foods in the neighboring countries were offered to idols. I understood that part, but I've got a strange feeling the Lord, who knows all thing of things, I've got a strange feeling he didn't want them to have all these certain animals to uh, with them in close. Because remember, the Jews are then were a nomadic people, and they 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 traveled from place to place, place to place, until they finally got to the promised land. And uh, and so they had all these herds with them, etc. And there were certain animals the Lord said, even after they arrived in the promised land, he said, uh, don't eat such and such, don't eat such and pork. The pig was one of them. 
And I'm wondering if maybe one reason was he didn't want them in close proximity with certain animals who carried certain viruses, which is something we didn't know about. They didn't know about viruses until the 1930s and 40s. There was no flu vaccine until 1944 or 45. And then the lady said yesterday, she said it takes about six months after you get a vaccine, it takes about six months to produce enough to distribute to everybody. So all this political talk in a political presidential election season, all this political talk about we're going to have a vaccine by September. Uh, no, we're not. And even if you had a vaccine by September, it's not going to be distributed to 350 million people until, um, you know, uh, uh, sometime next year. But most viruses, most, most vaccines take years to, um, to create if you create one, because there's still no vaccine for HIV AIDS, even though there are drugs that keep the HIV um, uh, virus, they say so low that it can't be detected, et cetera. Uh, but there's there still no uh, vaccines for certain things. So that's President Trump and these people who are following him, the, and, and they've got this wishful thinking. And I got a feeling he's listening to some other people who are you know, telling him what he wants to hear because that's the kind of person he is. He wants, if I were president of the United States and I really cared about this country, I would influence the major networks to show on prime time. I would influence the major networks to show these documentaries that are on YouTube, etc. These documentaries are about the 1918-19 uh, flu pandemic, etc. Because the similarities are so striking as far as what happened, uh, the, the political response, how certain cities like Philadelphia, Philadelphia got really hit hard because they didn't practice social distancing. Uh, they were trying to raise war bonds for the war effort, World War I. So they had the, the, the big parade. It, it was just, and it was just, it, and you can see the striking similarities between the, uh, the, uh, the, the willfulness then and the willfulness now. And again, I know you've been cooped up for three, four, five months. As, as, as Funkadelic said in the song, you've been cooped up too long. <laughs> I, I, I get that. And, and, if, and if I had a business and I had borrowed $10 million to start a chain of businesses, I, I, I understand. And, and now your businesses have to shut down and, and but you borrowed $10 million. I get it. Believe me, I'm, I'm in a position where I don't have to suffer that. I'm not a pastor over a church where you have a $100,000, $300,000 mortgage every month. I under, believe me, I understand, even though I'm not in that position. I'm a school teacher, and, and that check is coming right on. I, I, but I get it. If I were a business owner, if I were in certain other positions, if I were a pastor over a church, and if my offerings dropped 50% because we went online, I get it. I really do. I, I understand more than people think I do, but I, I think there's going to be a fearful price to be paid come this fall and this winter when this next flu season comes upon us. But anyway, let us finish this lesson today. As I said, I've got a little bit less than two pages left, so we'll finish today. And then on Thursday, we will walk with Jesus through another part of the Bible. And then after we study that part of the Bible, then we'll say, okay, now we've studied such and such. Now, how do we grow in grace? Because that's the aim. If, if we read the Bible and don't, and don't apply it to our lives, then we haven't accomplished what God wants to be accomplished. 
But if we, the Bible says, if we look in the perfect law of liberty, which is the word of God, right? And we don't forget what we've seen. Like when you look in the mirror, if you look in the mirror and see that uh, there's something in your eye or, you know, the little bit of whatever on your corner of your lip or whatever, or your makeup needs to be readjusted or whatever, then you make the readjustment, then you walk away from the mirror. But the Bible says if we look into the mirror of God's word, then walk away and forget what we saw, then the Bible says that we have, um, we have really wasted our time and God's time. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, we glorify you. We thank you for allowing us to mention your, your blessed name, the name of your dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you that you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. We thank you that you loosened by your power and your glory, your grace. We thank you that you loosened Satan's grip on our soul, on our heart, on our spirit, Lord, on our mind. We thank you, Lord. It was you. It was not us. It was you, Lord. You said you have mercy on who you have mercy and compassion on whom you have compassion. And you chose us, Lord. You called us. And we just want to thank you, Lord. We just ask that you continue to bless your people, continue to bless those churches that are struggling to survive in the midst of this uh, pandemic. We pray that pastors would listen to your voice, the voice of wisdom, the voice of spiritual reason, and that they would not hurry their congregations to come back to worship. We, Lord, we understand how difficult it is for many churches financially. We pray that you will bless those churches supernaturally supernaturally as only you can lord that they would um that they would stay together their leadership and the followers the congregants lord we pray that you would just bless in a great way you know the wisdom of this situation god we ask for your wisdom your knowledge and your understanding i pray that as a result of this preaching and teaching and preaching and teaching all over the world we pray that gifts and fruit of the holy spirit would be the result by the power of your holy spirit who raised jesus from the dead we pray that same power, glory, might, and dominion, Lord, would rest within us, your earthen vessels. We, we give you all the praise, honor, and glory. We ask that you forgive us for our sins. Help us, Lord, to say no to sin and yes to righteousness, which is only in your dear son, Jesus, to whom be glory, power, majesty, dominion, and kingdom. And thank you for allowing us to be part of that kingdom. Amen and amen. All right, let's go ahead and finish this uh, lesson here. Uh, how do we grow in grace? G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Uh, and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, after having studied 1 John. We grow in grace when we continue to believe in the name of God's dear Son. When, when, we, when we don't falter, when we don't get off track. When we continue to believe in the name of God's dear Son, because we're being bombarded constantly by uh, uh, darts that come to strike at our faith. When we continue to believe in the name of God's dear son, when we continue to abide in him, Jesus himself said in John 15, abide in me and I in you and you'll bring forth much fruit. I am the true vine. You are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. If you've ever seen a branch on the road after it's been torn from the tree, the branch looks alive. But if you drive by that same branch a week later, it has withered and dried up because it's been cut off from its life source. Jesus said, I'm your life source. Uh, Paul said, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. So Jesus is our life source. So when we continue to abide in him, we grow in grace when we submit to the sovereign will of God. This, this, is, this, is, um, this is a tricky part here. This is where Christian maturity comes in. When we submit to his sovereign will, 
not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And when we, when we acknowledge that there are things that we don't understand, but we trust the integrity of God, as someone stated to me recently, we trust the integrity of God, that he doesn't make a mistake, that he knows what he's doing, and that we are to, he's the captain, we're, 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 we're on the ship, he's the captain of our salvation, he is king, we are the subjects, he is Lord. Uh, no, I don't understand um, the, the young lady, uh, Mission uh, Aviation Fellowship, her plane crashed. Uh, she was carrying COVID-19 relief to Indonesia, and she was a, mis a, a member of Mission Aviation Fellowship, and uh, her plane crashed. Now, she wasn't an experienced pilot. That, that, that probably played a part in it. She wasn't an experienced pilot, but her plane crashed uh, recently, and um, uh, they found the plane and her body in about 40 feet of water. And so, no, I don't understand it, but... I, I I don't have a choice. And if I were her husband or father, or if I were a member of Mission Aviation Fellowship, uh, I, I would, you know, no, I don't understand it, but we have to trust in the sovereignty of God. Did God kill her? No, but she's dead. Dead is dead. And she was flying. She wasn't flying, you know, to Vegas to uh, engage in prostitution, which is legal in, in, in Nevada. She was flying Mission COVID-19 relief, just like um, uh, the man years ago, and I don't know if he was a Christian or not, the Roberto Clemente, he was a professional baseball player, and he was flying relief down to Nicaragua to, uh, after a bad earthquake down there, and, and his plane crashed. But this lady, I know she was a believer. She, she was a believer, and, and her dream was, you know, after she went to MIT and she went to a couple of, you know, high, um, high um, echelon schools, uh, she was working mission work. Uh, uh, did I say Indonesia? I'm, I think it was it was one of those South Pacific countries. I may have the wrong country. She, her plane crashed. But the, our first tendency is to blame God. You know, God, why did you allow this to happen? Well, he's he's probably not going to tell us. And so we have to trust in the sovereignty and the integrity of God. It, 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 God is not obligated to give us a blow by a blow by blow detail of everything that happens in our lives and the lives of others. You know, Miles Monroe, his plane crashed. Most plane crashes, helicopters, planes, if you watch this program called um, Air Disasters, most, like 90%, 95% are pilot error. Pilot error, pilot error, pilot error. And most are pilot error. Some is mechanical error, but even that mechanical error is due to somebody making a mistake in the maintenance of the plane. But most crashes are pilot error. Now, this young lady was an inexperienced pilot. Uh, uh, she did know how to fly, but she was kind of inexperienced, kind of similar to uh, JFK Jr., etc. But my point is, uh, we... we we grow in grace when we submit to the sovereign will of God, including as part of our prayer life, if we shall ask according to his will. That's what John said in his epistle. John said, if we ask anything according to his will, listen to that, he hears us. He said that, right? If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We cannot manipulate the will of God. We cannot manipulate God. I know there are some teachings out there name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. Uh, there are some teachings out there that teach that, you know, whatever you ask, no matter what it is, you know, 
God, I heard a preacher pray years ago. God, we commanded, we commanded to be done. <laughs> what? I have to get after my grandson sometimes because he'll, 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 he'll like, you know, do this and do that. And I have to say, I have to say to him, you know, who, who are you talking to? Who, 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 who are you talking to like that? Yeah. So if I'm not going to let my grandson talk to me like that, what makes us think, God, we command it to be done. Well, you command it to be done. <laughs> if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You can't manipulate God. You can manipulate people. You can't manipulate God. God would not be manipulated. He's God, and we're not. He's sovereign. We're not. He's almighty. We're not. All right. All right. Let's see what it says here. Here we as mature Christians don't try to manipulate God. Okay, that's in my notes. And others by chanting magic formulas. But we reverently acknowledge, as our Lord Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done on earth as it is in heaven. You don't go around as a subject of the kingdom telling the king what to do. You didn't tell King Solomon what to do. You didn't tell King David what to do. You didn't tell King Josiah or Hezekiah or Ahaz or Jotham or Manasseh. You didn't tell the king what to do. So if we didn't tell these earthly kings what to do, how, what makes us think we can tell King Jesus what to do, who's the king of kings and lord of lords? He's over all. You can't manipulate God. Stop trying. Stop listening to these formulas, these, these word of faith, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it formulas. You're wasting your time. You, 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 you really are wasting your time by listening to these magic formulas. It's really, it's really witchcraft. You're trying to manipulate. You can't manipulate God. How are you going to manipulate the Lord? All right. We grow in grace as we demonstrate sense, uh, sincere concern for our brothers and sisters who have be, uh, become entangled in sin. We grow in grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E, as we demonstrate sincere concern for our brothers and sisters who have become entangled in sin. I believe Paul said in Galatians, uh, if a brother or sister, he said, if a brother be overcome with a thought, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So when we restore people, we, we have to do it the right way. We can't be overly harsh and critical and judgmental. We should be stern at times, lovingly rebuke, but we have to know, know how to draw that line because the Bible says, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. And I believe that ties into what Jesus said in Matthew by judge not lest you be judged. He, he didn't tell... He, if you read the whole context of the scripture, he's not saying don't judge at all. He's not saying that because that would destroy too many other passages of scripture. If you read the whole context of the Matthew 7 passage, he's saying be careful how you judge, lest you also be judged. Be careful. Be, be careful about condemning the LGBTQ lifestyle and then it be found out that you had a little, you know, same-sex friend on the side. That's basically what Jesus was saying. He's saying, judge not, lest you also be judged. For with what judgment you judge, it shall be judged unto you also. And then if you read the context, that whole thing in context. And Paul essentially was saying the same thing to the Galatians. You who are spiritual, restore the fallen brother or sister in the spirit of meekness, lest you also be tempted. The same temptation that came upon brother or sister um, X can come, can come upon you or X, Y, Z 
can also come upon you. And if we're not careful, you'll fall into the same thing. I remember years ago, a TV evangelist fell into sin and, and another evangelist pounded evangelist A, you know, I told you, I told you, I told you, I told you, I, he's no good. And then weeks later, evangelist B, he had to come and stand, you know, with tears. And that's what the Bible is telling us. Be careful about um, pointing the finger at others because you've got three fingers pointing back at yourself. Restoration should take place. Uh, uh, dealing with sin has to take place, but it can't take place in a spirit of judgment or condemnation. Uh, the only one who has the um, authority to judge in the sense of final condemnation is our Lord and Savior. But we, we cannot be overly harsh to people when they fall into sin, to believers when they fall into sin, because our job is to restore, to recognize and to restore. And to also, we've got to uh, be careful because that same sin is, is knocking at our door also. All right. So we grow in grace as we demonstrate sincere concern for our brothers and sisters who have become entangled in sin. We must continually realize that God is so serious about sin he sent his dear son, Jesus, to die for us at Calvary's cruel cross. We should believe that to die in one's sins is the ultimate blasphemy against the blessed Holy Spirit. If you die in sin, meaning if you die never having made a decision for Jesus. If you die never having made a decision for Jesus, that's the ultimate blasphemy. Because once you die, you cannot make a decision for Jesus on the other side of the grave. There's no scriptural support for making a, a, a firm decision for Christ on the other side of the grave. Whatever decision you make or don't make for Jesus has to be on this side of, of eternity. There's no purgatory. There, there's no purgatory. When Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. He said that. Jesus said it, not the Pope, the Cardinal, the Bishop, the Apostle, the, the, the Prelate, the Episcopal Board. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, crucified, excuse me, buried, resurrected, ascended, coming again in power and glory and majesty and dominion and kingdom, said, if you don't believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. I saw somebody post the other day and I didn't respond. I sure wanted to. But I didn't respond. This person said, I believe in God and, and uh, you know, this and that. And I'm not any religion. I'm not any denomination. And uh, but I keep you know, I, I just I keep the laws of you. And then somebody else chimed in. Yeah, that's the way I am. I keep the law. No, you don't keep the laws. Because if you keep in the laws, you'd be offering up sacrifices. But you can't offer up sacrifices because there's no Jewish temple. Because the Jewish temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. So how are you keeping the laws and not offering up the sacrifices that the law required? That's why the Lord gave us a way out. By following Jesus, he is the one-time perfect sacrifice. You don't have to get your hands all bloody by offering up sacrifices in the Jewish temple. And you wouldn't have been able to do it anyway. It took the Levitical priesthood to offer up those sacrifices. And then the high priest would go into the most holy place once a year. To atone, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, he would atone for the sins of the nation. Jesus took care of all that. Jesus paid it all. I don't know why people people want to, ugh, 
I just want to pull my hair out. <laughs> it's like, why are you, why are you, why are you trying to drive without four tires? Jesus has put the tires on the car. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Hallelujah. He has washed it as white as snow. Your decision has to be made for Jesus on this side of the cross. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit would be committed if you die and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You died in unbelief. Now, if you think God's going to let you into the kingdom and you die in unbelief, then what, what, what would, no, that's not going to happen. You're, uh-uh, no, because the, the list of people who are going to live, who are going to live in the lake of fire for eternity, the Bible lists unbelievers in that, it ain't just the whoremonger and the, the mafioso and the, the pimp and the unbelievers, any unbeliever, anybody, anybody who, who leaves this world, not having accepted Jesus is lost for eternity. That's the ultimate blasphemy because you didn't believe the witness of the Holy Spirit. The witness of the Holy Spirit is there. That man there who died on the cross is the son of God. He's our only salvation. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he shall testify of me. He shall testify of me. The Bible says in Revelation, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Whether Jesus is the subject of that prophecy or, is the, or he's the object of that pro prophecy. The testimony of Jesus, it says in Revelation 19 and 10, is the spirit of prophecy. So, uh, let's see. For our decision for or against Christ must be made on this side of eternity. All right, y'all. Last page. Glory to God. Last page. Last page. We grow in grace and knowledge when we move further and further away from sin. The more we grow, in, the, the, the more we grow as Christians, the less sin should... Um, have a grip in our lives. We shouldn't sin at all, but, but we realize that a mature Christian is going to sin less than an immature Christian. I've been saved. It'll be 41 years, 41 years uh, on the 20th of May. Today's the 17th. So Wednesday, I suppose. I'll be saved 41 years. Now, if I'm at the same level of spiritual growth on May 20th, 2020, that I was on May 20th, 1979, or May 20th, 1980, something went wrong. If you can't blame it on the Lord, you would have to blame it on me. So the longer we've been saved, we, we should move further and further away from sin. A mature Christian should not be on the same, obviously, level uh, as the immature Christian. The immature Christian is like a baby. The immature Christian is going to every now and then soil himself. I have a four-year-old uh, grandson, he, but he's no longer in diapers. But every now and then, because he's busy, he, he gets busy with, you know, looking at the iPad and he's fascinated with the little games on the iPad, the little videos and stuff, that he will soil himself because he's become distracted. And he's looking at the iPad. And he knows how to use the bathroom, number one and number two. But when he's got that little iPad in his hand, he will, he will, and what he will do is he will go in his room and close the door and hide. And when he does that, we know that he's dropped the load on, in him, on himself. And he would have been able to drop that load into the toilet if he hadn't been distracted by looking at these little SpongeBob games or whatever on 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 the iPad. You see that? Now take that analogy and and, and see, you see that. And that's what that's what Adam and Eve did. They dropped the load and they they tried to hide themselves. They made fig leaves. Well, my four year old grandson he doesn't wear a diaper. He wears uh, regular underwear. 
because he's 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 learned that self-control even though he doesn't always exhibit it my point is the mature christian is not going to be soiling him or herself uh to the extent that the uh, newborn christian the, the newborn christian you know is 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 bible says is drinking the sincere milk of the word but the mature christian is eating the meat of the gospel all right uh, the Holy Apostle informs us that whoever is born of God does not sin. John said, whoever is born of God does not sin. That's a, that's a very powerful statement. Whoever is born of God does not sin. Hmm. Hmm. Whoever is born, he, John, I didn't say it. John said it. Whoever is born of God does not sin. This has to mean that he or she who obeys God's word cannot sin will not sin because God's word is an incorruptible seed. He has to mean that, that as long as I'm obeying God's word, I'm not going to sin. But remember, although we are saved, we still have a will. And if that will is not bent to the will of God, we will sin. Otherwise, you wouldn't have most of the New Testament if it weren't for problems. Most of the epistles that are written uh, were, were written to address problems in the churches because you had Christians and they were they were Christians who were coming out of they were either they were either coming out of pagan idolatry as in the case of the Corinthians and the Galatians or they were coming out of Jewish legalism as in the case of Hebrews and uh first and second Peter etc and and Paul and Peter and John and James they and Matthew they had to address problems in the churches and questions that came up about marriage, etc., they had to address these issues. So they uh, in Corinthians, Paul had to address the issue of people fighting over what preacher is the best preacher in the church, and they were fighting over, um, 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 uh, or, or they weren't doing anything about a man who was uh, in the church and he was uh, sleeping with his stepmother. You see that? Or they had the issue in Acts with uh, Ananias and Sapphira lying about you know, about the money they, that they earned from selling their land. So point I'm making is that when John says, if you're born of God, you won't sin. He has to be saying that as long as you obey God's word, you're not going to sin because God's word is an incorruptible seed. So as long as I obey God's word, I'm not going to sin. But if, if I allow my will, because we still have a will, I know you, you do, I know you dance around the church and you speak in tongues and, and, and you prophesy or whatever, but you still have a will. And whenever that will is not uh, conformed to the will of God, right? Be not conformed to this world. Remember Paul said that to the Romans? As long as your will is not, if your will is not conformed to the will of God, you're going to sin. Because your will wants to sin. <laughs> because we were born in sin. And the Bible gives no indication even though we're saved, the Bible gives no indication that our sinful nature all, all, all of a sudden departed. The Bible get, Now, there are some who teach that we no longer have a sinful nature. I, I don't know where they get that from, because if we no longer have a sinful nature, then how is it that we still sin? But there are some who teach we no longer have a sinful nature. Okay. Well, you better than I am. Because... <laughs> I have to constantly, I have to constantly uh, uh, submit my will to the will of God. And if I don't, I'm a sin because I still have a free will. 
right? Romans chapter 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Why would Paul say that if we no longer have the capacity to sin? John said at the beginning of his epistle, he said, don't sin. But he said, but if you do, so why would John say that? If you do, you have an advocate with the Father. Oh, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sin. It's just a big word, meaning he's the atoning sacrifice. No, no, no need now to go to the Jewish temple and offer up sacrifices because the Jewish temple is gone. It was destroyed. There's no, there is no Jewish temple. Remember Jesus' critics uh, uh, criticized him and he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. They thought he was talking about the, the temple that had taken like 50 years to build. And they said, how are you going to just, he was talking about himself. Kill me and I'm coming back in three days. They didn't understand it. So Jesus, they murdered him on the cross, turned him over to the Romans. The Romans murdered him on the cross. Three days later, early, the Baptist preached, early Sunday morning. You know, I, I'm a terrible hooper. Early Sunday morning. He got up in three days. But the Jewish temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Gone. There will be no Jewish temple again until the tribulation temple. And I don't want to get off into that because then I'll get off into that. One of my favorite subjects. But the point I'm making is there is no Jewish temple to which to take sacrifices. Why not? Because Jesus is the last and perfect sacrifice. There's no need to sacrifice anymore because Jesus is the last and perfect sacrifice. That's the... That's the, that's the reason you have the book of Hebrews. You would have no book of Hebrews if Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews, and I believe it was Paul, if Paul didn't have to bring out that point. There's no more sacrifice for sins. There's no continual sacrifice for sins. Jesus, Paul said to the Hebrews, Jesus is that only, that one true, that perfect, that last sacrifice. And I believe that's one reason that the Lord allowed the Jewish temple to be destroyed, beside the fact he was bringing judgment on the nation for, for crucifying his son. But to let the Jews know, you, you don't need this temple anymore. <laughs> My son went to Calvary's cruel cross and died as the perfect sacrifice. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice. I know the Jews still celebrate Yom Kippur, or Yom Kippur, as, as people say it. I like to say Kippur. It sounds more theological, you know. I know Jews still celebrate Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. I know Jews still celebrate Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. I know Jews still celebrate these Jewish holy days, but they point to Jesus. Jesus. But most Jews don't know that. You don't have to, you don't have to celebrate Yom Kippur anymore or Yom Kippur. You don't have to. Because Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. All right, let, let me go on here. Uh, we grow in grace when we refuse to let that wicked one, Satan, touch us. Because John said, whoever's born of God, that he said that wicked one does not sin. He said, whoever's born of God does not sin, and that wicked one touches him not. You don't have to let the wicked one touch you. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh that you may fulfill the lust thereof. The wicked one doesn't have to touch us. John says that wicked one does not touch us as far as making us sin. Now, the Lord can allow Satan to persecute us. We see that all throughout scripture. Even in the book of Revelation, the church at Smyrna, 
the Lord told the um, saints at the church of Smyrna, he said, okay, look, boys, y'all been doing real well. I'm kind of paraphrasing here. Y'all been doing real well. Y'all a good church. He said, now, uh, um, I'm going to let the devil toss some of y'all in the prison. You're going to have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. So the Lord does allow Satan at times to persecute the church. That might be what we need in this country to get the church, you know, uh, off the off the mat, so to speak. But the Lord does allow Satan to persecute the church. But he does not allow Satan to make us to sin. If we sin, it's because we have allowed our will to get out of the will of God. All right. Let's see where we are here. We grow in grace when we refuse to let that wicked one, Satan, touch us. This is indeed challenging, but by God's grace and power, it's possible. And the word for power there is, is where we get the word dynamite. Dunamis is where we get the word dynamite. So it's possible. We should, be, we should be walking in that power. All right, we grow in grace as we acknowledge that there are really only two types of people in this world. Those who are of God. Christians, whether Gentile Christians or Messianic Jews, Jews who believe in Jesus, and those who are under the control, the sway, the power of the wicked one. And I'm going to give you three scriptures to prove that point beyond what John said here. And then we're done. Grace means we hate and avoid idols of the mind and heart as we love the Lord with all our heart. You know, you can have, you can have idols of the mind and of the heart. You can. It doesn't have to be a statue. Like I, ta I, I told you, the uh, pastor years ago, I went to a, a church here in Atlanta, a Baptist church, and he had, he had allowed some Buddhists to bring a shrine into the, the, the church, the vestibule of the church. And they, he allowed a, a Buddhist shrine. I'm about to lose my, my loins. Were about <laughs> my loins almost loosened when I saw that. A Baptist church, a Christian church. He allowed Buddhists to come in and build a, a, a like an idol shrine. I, I can't even talk about it. I, I have a conniption. All right. So anyway, there are two types of people. Those who are um, born again and are with Jesus and those who are still under the sway of the wicked one. Let, let me read to you first from Ephesians chapter two. Uh, Paul said, you have he quickened. When you got saved, the Lord quickened your spirit. Our spirit has been dead because of Adam and Eve's transgression. Our spirit was dead. I was born on March 4th, 1957, but my spirit is, was dead in sin. But Jesus, you have he quickened. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Looking good on Easter and all that. Looking good for the camera but dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. Remember before you got saved, you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. Now, who is that? Well, Jesus is the prince of princes. Jesus is the prince of peace. But the prince of the power of the air is the devil. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. You hear that? The children that even the spirit that even now works in the children of disobedience. Paul is letting these Ephesian Christians know what the Lord did for them. 
among whom also we all had our conversation. And in the King James, the word conversation means lifestyle. Among whom we all had our conversation in times past. Let's see. Uh, fulfilling the desires of our hearts. I'm sorry. In the lust of our... Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. In the lust of our flesh. Remember before you got saved? You, you wanted to do it, you did it. You did whatever you were grown enough to do. And some stuff you weren't grown enough to do. We all had our lifestyle in times past in the lust of our flesh. Listen to this. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And you were by nature, we were by nature, the children of wrath. The Bible says in John 3 and 36, whoever does not believe in Jesus, the wrath of God abides over him like a sword of Damocles. We were, the, we were by nature the children of wrath, but God, Ephesians 2, 4, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, he has quickened us, made us alive. The Holy Spirit quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I preached a sermon years ago, your position, not your condition. Positionally, we're seated with Jesus. I know the IRS is sending letters to you and to me. <laughs> pay up, pay up, pay up. I know our condition doesn't look like that we're children of the king often. But positionally, we're seated with Jesus in heavenly places. Your, your position, not your condition. If you get to dwelling on your condition, you're going to be in bad shape. Your position, we're seated with Jesus in heavenly places. That in the, let's see, has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ. And that's where we get the next verse. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. All these things are, are, are not of us. We're saved. It's not of us. That faith is not of us. It's a gift. It's not of us. If you look this up in the Greek, not, it's saying not of us, not of us, not of us. It's all of God. I know some people think, yeah, I had enough faith. I gave my life to Jesus. Even the faith came from the Lord. Even the faith. There's a, there's a passage in Acts where it says, that, I think Lydia, Lydia was the woman's name. It said the Lord opened her heart to, to, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. So even the faith that you had to get saved comes from God. For well, by grace you are saved, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. Abraham believed God, it was accounted unto him for righteousness. He could not boast, because he believed in God before circumcision. In other words, he could not boast and that's why Abraham is used as our example. He could not boast. He said he believed God and it was imputed unto him. It was accounted unto him for righteousness. So when you gave your life to Jesus, Jesus imputed the right, God imputed the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, upon you and upon me. For by grace we are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Don't get a big, Paul saying, don't get a bad case of the big head here. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any should boast. All right, 
but but going back to the beginning of that chapter, he says you you he's quickened you. He's made you. Some other translations will say he made you alive. You've been made alive. Uh, let me see. Let, let me read at least. Uh, let's see. I've got the NIV right here. Let me read what the NIV says in Ephesians chapter two, because because quickened is not a word that we often use in our language today. So let me let me see what the NIV said. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And I'm sure if you were to look at the New Living Translation and some of the more user-friendly translations, they would say something like, and you he made alive, you know, who were who were you were dead in, you know, trespasses and sins, etc. All right. So that's Ephesians. Then I want to look at 2 Corinthians 4. Remember, I said there are two people. John said there are two classifications of people. Those who are with the Lord, those who are on the Lord's side, those who are not on the Lord's side. Paul said uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, since we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things. This is the NASB. This is the NASB, yes. Uh, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden, uh, the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word, word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, by the truth of the gospel, right? Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now listen to what he says right here. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world. So in Ephesians, he was the prince of the power of the air. In Corinthians, same author, Paul, uh, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan is blinding the minds of unbelievers, people who refuse to hear the gospel, people who refuse to come and give their lives to Christ. Satan has blinded the eyes. It says, and he's going to go down to say in verse six, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, going back to Genesis one, one, two, three, four, going back to Genesis for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm paraphrasing that, but it's the same God and the same light. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, right? And the world was, in the beginning was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, and when you got saved and when I got saved, God said, let there be light. I'm gonna transfer Crockett from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of my dear son. Now, some Bibles call it the kingdom of the son of his love. I, I, don't, I don't like that. I love what the King James says, the kingdom of his dear son. It just, to me, it just, you know, but some translations is like, oh, can't stand it. But either way, God said at some point when you got saved, he said, I'm going to transfer you because I love you by my mercy and my grace. And because you need it, because without this, you're going to be lost for eternity. I'm going to transfer you. I'm going to translate you. Trans meaning across, right? I'm going to translate you. I'm going to translate you from the kingdom of darkness. Powerful kingdom. Satan's kingdom is a powerful kingdom. It's a powerful kingdom. Principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. A very organized kingdom. 
that only God is going to be able to destroy one day. I'm going to translate you from that satanic kingdom, even though you weren't into devil worshiping, you know, and, and chanting, uh, uh, you know, uh, satanic, you weren't drawing pentagrams on your arm, but you were still in the kingdom of darkness, according to Ephesians, right? I'm going to translate you from the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom, into the kingdom of my dear son, Jesus. Hallelujah. So there are two types. All right. Last verse is 2 Timothy, and then we are done. 2 Timothy 2. 25 and 26, 2 Timothy. Paul says in 2 Timothy, I'm going to start at verse 20, just to give you context. He says in 2 Timothy verse chapter 2, verse 20, he said, uh, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of honor and some of dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, in other words, we have a choice. We don't have to be a vessel of dishonor. Do you know what a vessel of dishonor would have meant back in these days? A chamber pot, a bowl, a vessel that you take a crap in. That, that was a vessel of dishonor. That, that was one use for it. Until we, until we got sanitation where people could, uh, you know, use the bathroom, toilets and stuff like that. There were chamber pots. People would uh, take a dump. And then you would toss it out of the window. No wonder there was so much disease stuff during the Middle Ages, right? Yeah. So he said, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, set apart for God's holy use. Said uh, he would be a uh, he would be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, who of course is Jesus, prepared for every good work. Flee off also youthful lust. This is Paul speaking to uh, Timothy, his protege. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Those are the churches we've been praying for during the COVID nineteen pandemic. We've been praying for churches, for those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Those other, those other places masquerading as churches, I'm not praying for them. They're in the hands of the Lord. I'm praying for those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, if you want to pray for those churches that ain't studying God or whatever, that, uh, that's on you. I'm praying for those who call on the Lord of a pure heart. Then he says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. I, I try. That's why I'm, I'm trying you know, when I see certain things like, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying not, you know, he says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God, perhaps, listen to this right here, and then we're done. If God, perhaps, will grant them repentance Notice it's of God. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, it's a working of God. Everything about salvation is a work of God. It's a work of God. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth of the gospel and that they may come to their senses like, wake up. You want to crack people over the head sometimes, like, wake up. But it's a, it's, it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit, right? So that they may know the truth 
and that they may come to their senses, watch this, and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Jesus defeated Satan at the cross, but Satan is still active in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the world, in the atmosphere today. Well, you say, well, then how did Jesus defeat him at the cross? Jesus defeated him at the cross, but his final doom is not, God has not brought about his final doom yet. Because God has a fullness of time for everything. And, and God is, I, I use the analogy of the sporting event. A team could be winning 50 to nothing, but if there's um, um, 30 minutes left in the game, Unless there's an electrical storm or something, the game still has to be played. We even see it in baseball. In baseball, uh, if it starts raining, they'll sit sometimes three and four hours and wait for the rain to stop. It's like, that's one reason I'm, I'm not into baseball. I, I, I couldn't, it's like, play the game unless there's an electrical storm or, you know, an earthquake or something. Play the game. But in baseball, you know, the Atlanta Braves, it might start raining at 9 p.m. And they will sometimes sit till two o'clock in the morning and wait for it to stop raining so they can resume the game. But in most sporting events, if, even if one team is up by, a, by, a, by a, a huge amount, the game still has to be played. So if one team, if a basketball team is winning 100 to 42, if there are eight minutes to go in the game, the eight minutes have to click, have to tick down on the clock. Well, the game is te technically the, the game is over here. Jesus defeated uh, Satan at the cross. He triumphed over principalities and powers. He made an open show of them. He triumphed. He rose from the dead. All power, not black power, and certainly not white power. All power is in my hands in heaven and earth. He defeated Satan at the cross, but Satan is still allowed to be the prince of the air for a season, and then eventually, and then eventually. According to Revelation chapter 20, God is going to eventually cast Satan, the beast and the false prophet. The beast would be the Antichrist and the false prophet. He will, he, he will cast the unholy trinity into the lake of fire. The beast and the false prophet will go there first. According to Revelation 20, the beast and the prophet will go there first. False prophet, not prophet. The beast and the false prophet will go to the lake of fire first. And then... Um, if, if my reading is correct, Satan will be, um, he will be, uh, in the abyss, in, in a, in an abyss for a thousand years during the, um, millennial kingdom. And then he will be let out of the abyss and he will be allowed to tempt creation again. Why God is doing that again? I don't know. God is sovereign. I wouldn't do that. I'd get rid of that joker Satan for once and for all, but I'm not God. So who am I, right? But Satan will be let out of the abyss and will be, and will be allowed to tempt the uh, nations again. And then the Bible says in Revelation, I believe it's chapter 20, that fire will come down from God out of, he out of heaven and he will destroy the enemies uh, of the millennial kingdom, I believe it is. And then God is going to take Satan and, and cast him into the lake of fire. Well, he would be there for eternity. That's why I keep telling people, you don't want to end up in the lake of fire because Satan is going to be one of your neighbors. And if you've ever had bad neighbors, uh, multiply that by 10 gazillion. If you've ever had a black, bad neighbor or a bad landlord, if you've ever had to live or work with a bad work um, environment, if you've ever had to live or work with people or, or live next to people or live with people and they just got on your second last nerve and then your last nerve, 
when imagine having those kind of neighbors, Satan, all of his demons, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all unbelievers, all those who died and did not believe in Jesus, they will eventually end up in the lake of fire for eternity. And you don't want to be there. You want to be with us. You want to be with the believers. You want to be with the saints. 